You're listening to the Multifamily Market Watch for Washington State. Apartment owners who need to know, trust HFO. The leading source for multifamily industry news around the state, from Puget Sound to the Tri-Cities. Welcome back to Washington Multifamily Market Watch. I'm your host, Aaron Kirk Douglas. The top news this week, the bid to construct missing middle housing is one crucial step away from the governor's desk. The House Finance Committee made a surprising change to the real estate excise tax on Friday, and not for the better. Other legislative bills made it past Wednesday's final hurdle towards becoming law as well. This Washington Multifamily Market Watch is co-sponsored by Gantry Inc., the nation's largest independent mortgage broker, and by J.R. Johnson, experts in multifamily restoration and repair work. Now on to our news briefing. Here's the current status of housing bills in the Washington State Legislature. First, one bill opposed by the multifamily industry that has already been signed into law. Effective July 23rd, mobile home communities that go up for sale in Washington will require offering residents the right to compete for the purchase of that community. Residents will have a set time to respond to the notice of their intention to buy the property. As an alternative to the two-year notice period, landlords may pay relocation assistance of $15,000 for a double-wide or multi-section home or $10,000 for a single-wide, plus the greater of 50% of the assessed market value of the home or $5,000 plus the cost of disposal. Thus, the cash payments to tenants would be a minimum of $15,000 each. The tenants must also be provided 12 months written notice to vacate. Bills opposed by the multifamily uh, associations around the state that are moving forward. The Washington State Real Estate Excise Tax Bill was revised on Friday in the House Finance Committee. Previously, the bill proposed expanding the real estate excise tax to 4% on transactions above $5 million, but the committee scrapped that increase. Instead, they approved a revision that changed the maximum tax on transactions over $3.025 million from 3% to 3.5%. This means the bill now has become more about increasing the local version of the real estate excise tax. During the revision process, the House Finance Committee debated exempting market rate multifamily properties from this tax increase, but ultimately voted against it. Additionally, the committee discussed whether city councils should be allowed to increase the REIT tax without citizen approval. Still, most committee members voted against putting REIT tax increases on local ballots. This newly revised bill would allow local governments to increase taxes by one quarter percent on all transactions on top of the half percent most cities already charge. For example, this could add another $1,250 to the price of a half a million dollar home. The second substitute, House Bill 1628, passed out of the committee on a vote of eight to five with a due pass recommendation. However, it's important to note that legislators voting in opposition to this amended bill included Cindy Jacobson of Puyallup, Ed Orcutt of Kalama, Amy Whalen of Kirkland, Stephanie Barnard of Pasco, and Drew Stokesbury of Auburn. Substitute House Bill 1074, governing security deposits and landlord claims for damages to residential premises, is up for final passage. This bill would include the following. 
As a landlord, you must provide a signed checklist to your tenant when they move in, detailing the property's condition and any existing damages. If you fail to provide the checklist, you could be responsible for refunding the full security deposit. You cannot withhold deposits for normal wear and tear on the property. And if you need to keep part of the deposit for damages, you must provide estimates or invoices within 30 days of the tenant moving out. Landlords cannot charge for routine carpet cleaning as part of normal wear and tear. Also moving forward is Senate Bill 5197, which changes eviction notice forms and modifies specific eviction processes. Bills supported by the rental housing industry that are moving forward can include House Bill 1110, which made it through the Senate on a bipartisan vote of 35 to 14. This bill gives the green light to duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes currently not permitted in large parts of the state because of invisible walls created by local zoning rules. House Bill 1110 would override those rules for large metro areas while leaving out most of rural Washington and some wealthy enclaves. Also greenlit is House Bill 1337, which aims to encourage the development of backyard cottages and mother-in-law apartments, also known as accessory dwelling units, or ADUs. Currently limited to 1,000 square feet and 24 feet in height, ADUs have become a popular housing solution this year. The state Senate has passed the bill with strong support, and it's considered the most ambitious ADU proposal this session. A recent change in the bill introduced by Senate Senator Liz Lovelett removed amendments that would have allowed local governments to impose parking requirements, which could have hindered ADU growth. One ADU-related bill may improve the availability of affordable housing. Senate Bill 5045 would provide incentives for renting an ADU to low-income households. The bill would exempt ADUs for taxation for three years if they have been renovated or improved. In addition, the rent charged must not exceed 30% of the tenant's income. House Bill 1293 would streamline development uh, regulations by accelerating the permitting and design review by committee process. In addition, the bill would require only clear and objective design review standards. Senate Bill 5491 would allow one exit stairwell in residential buildings of six stories or fewer. This bill was changed to direct the State Building Code Council to recommend relevant changes to the building code rather than make that change directly. House Bill 1042 would require cities to convert an existing building for multifamily purposes if the existing zoning allows it. Senate Bill 5290 on permit streamlining, this bill would require local governments to exclude interior alterations from site plan review and help local governments move toward digital permitting processes. This bill was introduced in the House after a public hearing and was referred to appropriations on March 28th. Bills supported by the industry that have died just recently include Senate Bill 5466, which would encourage transit-oriented development. Urbanists saw it as a way to reduce urban sprawl and increase affordable housing stock while shortening commutes. Senators liked it, but representatives in the House did not. However, some form of the idea is expected to return in the next legislative session. And finally, in other news, the Portland Tribune reported this past week that Clark County is growing while Portland and Multnomah County's populations are shrinking. According to the World Population Review, Clark County grew more than 3% from 2020 to 2021, 
and another percent and a half from 2021 to 2022. Conversely, Multnomah County and Portland experienced stagnant growth and population decreases during that same period. Clark County also reports a 76% increase in population among Black, Indigenous, and people of color from 2010 to 2020. Well, we're in the waning days of this year's Washington State Legislature, with lawmakers set to adjourn on April 23rd. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the latest update. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our Northwest Department Investor blog, which you can access through our website. Our entire office specializes in multifamily real estate, making HFO the largest multifamily brokerage in the Pacific Northwest. Your success is our passion. Build your legacy with HFO. Call 503-241-5541 or visit our website at hfore.com for more information. HFO is an affiliate of the Global Real Estate Advisor Network.